0: Check podcasts. This is Van Van Collar.
1: Hey folks, my name is Mo Amir and this is Van Color, British Columbia's bona fide culture and politics TV talk show, right here on Check and Check Plus. We're also on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tonight, we're launching a new segment. Right now, I'm going to take your complaints directly to the government and you can judge their answers for yourself. So let's get into it about affordability from gas to groceries to a roof over your head. Things are getting increasingly expensive in B.C. So what is our provincial government doing about it? Our first guest is here to answer your concerns. She's the twice elected B.C. NDP MLA for North Vancouver Lonsdale and since 2020 B.C.'s minister. Of State for Infrastructure, a Van Color fan favorite. She is Minister Bowen Ma, and this is the complaint box. Hello. Bowen, are you ready? I am, Mo. Complaint number one. B.C. has the highest gas prices in North America, which includes 70 cents per liter in B.C. NDP gas tax cash grabs. Why isn't your government providing immediate relief to British Columbians by suspending these taxes, which would result in an automatic 30 percent discount at the pump?
2: You know, Mo, this is one of those issues where good politics and good policy sadly don't line up. While cutting taxes is a politically popular move for governments to make, economists warn that it's actually unlikely to reduce the retail price of gas that people pay at the pump. What would happen instead is that the public would give up critical revenue that is used to support road infrastructure, public transit, and other services, while gas companies just increase their profit margins to make up the difference. Gas companies don't need our help making money. That's why we've taken a more targeted approach. By providing low-income climate tax credits and rebates to drivers through ICBC, we can make sure that people and families, not oil tycoons, get to benefit from the savings.
1: Hmm. So let's talk about government spending. Complaint number two. A million British Columbians do not have a family doctor. Schools across BC need major upgrades. Our cities need more non-market housing. So with these overlapping crises of unaffordability and lack of access to basic services, why is your government spending a billion dollars on some museum in Victoria instead of investing in people?
2: The BC Royal Museum is an important public asset that hosts over 800,000 visitors a year. It is also a public asset that has come to the end of its useful life. It sits way below sea level, it isn't seismically safe and has asbestos everywhere, creating a risk to people that we can't take. It's also just one of literally hundreds, thousands of projects and initiatives that we've undertaken for British Columbians since the beginning. Creating a system of care for mental health and becoming the first province in Canada to decriminalize addictions. Building up a universal childcare system and reducing fees for tens of thousands of families. Opening 28 new urgent and primary care centers and hiring nearly 30,000 additional healthcare workers, leading the province through a pandemic and catastrophic damage to our highways and much, much more all while also building schools, hospitals, housing, childcare and transportation infrastructure at a rate never before seen in this province, our B.C. government is currently undertaking the single largest capital infrastructure investment program in B.C. history, with nearly $28 billion of investments underway. 30,000 new childcare spaces, 32,000 new social housing units, two SkyTrain extensions, a new tunnel to replace the George Massey, a new bridge to replace the Patello, 80 major school projects active right now, and hospitals in communities across the province. Mo, you're right about the need for housing security and access to health care. Those issues are so important to people and families, as is knowing that your children are safe when they go to school or visit a museum. And that's why we've been focusing on all of these issues since the beginning.
1: Complaint number three, brass tacks. Your party has been in power for five years and things are more expensive. Facts why is the BC NDP making life increasingly unaffordable for British Columbians?
2: It's okay to feel frustrated, Mo. We've gone through a lot in the last few years, a global pandemic, a toxic drug crisis, wildfires, heat waves, country, country countrywide high housing prices, leaving people struggling to find a home, an extreme climate event that cut off fuel and devastated our highways. But, Through it all, we have been there, working hard for regular folks like you. We've tackled money laundering and toxic speculation in the housing market, changed laws to improve housing security for renters, and started building homes at record pace. We fixed ICBC, eliminated MSP premiums, expanded pharmacare coverage, made transit-free for kids under 12, lowered childcare fees for tens of thousands of families. When the economy collapsed, during the pandemic, we didn't cut services like so many other jurisdictions did. We doubled down on investing in people, hiring healthcare workers, rapidly creating thousands of homes for people experiencing homelessness, investing in public transit to keep the system running when fair revenues collapsed. You know, I think it's worth remembering what things were like before John Horgan's BCNDP had the opportunity to leave this province. Under the BC Liberals, criminal money laundering ran rampant and the government of the day refused to even acknowledge that a housing crisis existed, let alone build social housing projects. They refused to invest in new hospitals, fired thousands thousands of healthcare workers, slow walked seismic upgrades and closed 250 schools while ignoring the childcare crisis, allowing ICBC's deficit to balloon out of control and the scandals selling land to their friends, public contracts to big donors. Is there more for us to do? You better believe that there's more for us to do. But since the beginning, we've been working hard for you. And I'm 100% confident that we're, our province is in a better position today than we would have been under the BC Liberals. And Mo, I think you know that, too.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, Bowen, you might be the most skilled communicator in the B.C. legislature, but I'll let British Columbians decide for themselves. Thank you so much for being the first guest, maybe the only guest, on The Complaint Box. Uh Folks, that was B.C. Minister of State for Infrastructure, Bowen Ma. Now, after some business, we're going to talk about something that could probably be its own segment of The Complaint Box. ICBC. Is the new system for no-fault auto insurance fundamentally broken? A cyclist shares his harrowing and bizarre experience up next. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir. And let's go on a journey. Imagine a beautiful summer day. You're cycling in your city when a Mercedes runs a stop sign and hits you. You're rushed to hospital, so seriously and permanently injured that you require metal rods to put your bones back together with no end in sight in terms of surgery and physical rehabilitation. Then imagine that the Provincial Auto Insurance Corporation, ICBC, decides that you, the cyclist, are 50% responsible for being run down by that Mercedes after, again, its driver ran a stop sign. Suddenly, you have a $3,000 bill to repair the hood and windshield of the Mercedes that severely injured you. You take to social media and the news. And months later, ICBC backs down. You no longer have to pay for repairs on that Mercedes that hit you. And in fact, ICBC changes its policies so that it will not go after cyclists in similar accidents. Tough break, but a good change came of it, right? Except... The story doesn't end here. Our featured guest is a cyclist and Vancouver resident who will share the latest developments of his experience and shed light on the potential pitfalls of ICBC's new no-fault model where most accident victims cannot sue the offending driver and the insurance corporation. He is Ben Bullager Ben.
0: Hello. Nice to see you. Uh, Nice to be here. You seem to be in good spirits. (laughs) I I, I am in good spirits, yeah.
1: So I want to pick up the story where I just left it off. Sure. You filed a Freedom of Information request, an FOI request, to get information on your specific case and the claim. What did you find out from ICBC?
0: Yeah, so under this uh, no-fault System. There's no real recourse in terms of challenging ICBC's assessment of fault uh, in the court system. So I wanted to know exactly what their rationale was for determining that I was originally 50-50% at fault. Right. Uh, so what was really surprising uh, when I received the 266 pages, uh, most of what I requested, there were some gaps, namely the police report. ICBC has not turned that over yet. Uh, but when I received that package of information, the piece that really stuck out for me was that the, uh, police report, the witness statements and ICBC's own claims adjuster back in October deemed that the driver, uh, Ran the stop sign and that there is no way that my injuries, the damage to the vehicle could have been so severe uh, if the driver had stopped.
1: Right. This, so then why were you found 50% responsible so, initially?
0: Yeah, this was overruled only a few days later by the claims adjuster's manager stating that because there was no dash cam in this situation, uh, it would be very difficult to prove that uh, that uh, situation. <laughs> Wait,
1: so there was no dash cam in the… Car of the driver. Correct. So now it was 50% your fault. Correct.
0: (laughs) Okay. I couldn't make this up. Yeah. I I mean, it is just so out there yeah. and it speaks I think to the black box that really is ICBC they determine who they decide uh, to interview as witnesses I know based on the information provided they did not interview all of the witnesses in my case mm. they decide uh, what they're going to look at in terms of damage and evidence and then they make the determination of fault right. so that was shocking to me because you don't have uh, legal recourse any longer
1: Right. And in your case, like a lot of injuries and rehabilitation that you need is coming up over the months. Like you, you don't know initially what you will require in terms of your physical therapy, right?
0: Totally. And that's another serious pitfall in my opinion of this new no fault system. So. The clock starts on the date of your accident. And then for 12 weeks, you can access physiotherapy uh, rehab without a doctor's note. After that 12 weeks, any sort of rehabilitation you may require requires a doctor's note. I mean, so many British Columbians don't have uh, family physicians or a care team that they can just easily access. Mm-hmm. In my particular case, my injuries were so severe, my right arm was completely immobilized for eight weeks with those rods. Wow. So I couldn't start physiotherapy until about nine weeks after uh, I had some of that metal taken out. Yeah. So the, it just doesn't work for someone that's been seriously injured. So to me, it sounds like this
1: is less of... An isolated case where maybe it was adjudicated incorrectly, but it sounds like it speaks more to a systemic problem with this no-fault model.
0: I believe so. One of the questions that I was asking from the get-go when I received that $3,800 bill for the repairs to the vehicle that ran a stop sign and hit me was, How many other people has this happened to since the no-fault system came in? Right. And I kept asking, kept asking. And then the uh, date that – or the day ICBC made the announcement that they would discontinue that, they also dropped that there were 65 other vulnerable road users who had received bills – Uh, to repair damages to the cars that hit them. And And this is cyclists and pedestrians as well. A scooter operator and a skateboarder as well. Wow. Uh, Now, keep in mind, those 65 fall into a very narrow uh, definition or bracket for ICBC. It means that the uh, vulnerable road user was killed, uh, seriously injured, or there was uh, not enough evidence as decided by ICBC, so that it's 50-50 at fault. Wow. So pretty uh, alarming, I would say, considering that we don't have access to legal recourse anymore. We can go through the Civil Resolution Tribunal right on that website. Uh, It discourages you from bringing a lawyer. I mean, I'm not... I don't think they would throw a lawyer out, but I mean, that is they are really pushing you out of the legal system uh, and into these other mechanisms for resolving these things. And there is no option for pain and suffering pay anymore. I mean, that right. is off the table. You, in my case, ICBC has offered to repair or replace my bike, which was snapped in half, helmet uh, and cell phone. $2,600 total. That's it. That's it? That's it. Wow. No consideration for uh, the ongoing uh, pain and suffering rehab that i'll require and another really disturbing element of the freedom of information docs i received was that icbc attempted to shut down the injury portion of my claim three times while i was still in active treatment at vgh december january and march 15th
1: wow no. Well, Ben, I appreciate you sharing your story because I feel like unless you go through this, and I don't wish this on anyone, no. you don't know how this system works. So I think your story is really important. I certainly hope that your recovery is as soon and, and as best as possible. Thank you. And I appreciate you being an advocate and, and shedding some light on this new system. And hopefully we see the reforms that will help other people like you uh, navigate this system. So thanks. thanks so much. I appreciate it. Folks, that was Vancouver resident Ben Boliger, who, by no fault of his own, is learning the hard way about navigating the very confusing no-fault model of ICBC. Now stick around, because after some business, we're going to lighten the mood and judge the Zoom rooms of past This Is Van Colour guests so that hopefully you don't make the same mistakes for your next virtual meeting. Room Raiders Jesse Bari is up next. Welcome back to This is Van Culler. My name is Momomir, and we're going to wrap up tonight with a guest who has spent the COVID-19 pandemic raiding your room, your Zoom room, your Skype station, your remote workplace as presented in virtual meeting software. She, along with former White House staffer Claude Taylor, are the authors of the book, How to Zoom Your Room, Room Raider's Ultimate Style Guide, which is out June 21st. Going global from Port Moody, BC, she is one half of the Room Raider Twitter account, which has over 400,000 followers on Twitter. She is Jessie Bari. Jessie, what a pleasure. Hi, Mo. I've been waiting to meet you for so long. We've been talking about it for a while. (laughs) Okay, so... You've never raided my room because I don't like to publicly post it. I'm one of those people that just has the white background, nothing else. Hostage. That's, yes, that's, <laughs> that is my Zoom room. But I've go, I'm going through your book. It's very detailed, and it's very detailed in terms of how to stage the perfect Zoom room. So, broad strokes, how do you make the perfect virtual meetings, Zoom room, Skype room? What are the basics?
3: We tried to make it something easy for anybody to be able to do um, without a lot of time and money involved. So there's probably five or six things that are very basic. The first one is lighting. Okay. Everybody gets that wrong the first few times. <laughs> usually, the, usually they need to add a lot more light, yeah. um, but too much light is also just as much of a problem. Right. Um, It'll drown you out. Yes. Yeah. So we talk about um, ring lights, lamps, any kind of lighting can be used. It um, doesn't have to be elaborate or expensive. Um, the second biggest mistake people make is the camera height, um, mm. or whatever device you're using. Um, we call it the nostril view. We don't <laughs> want to see your nostrils. Um, use, um, I've used in some of my, uh, interviews, um, stack of books. Right. Just keep whatever device it is at eye level. Yeah. Um, just don't want to see that.
1: Yeah. Um, because people aren't seeing what's behind the camera. Exactly. They're just seeing exactly. What's in frame. Yeah. And
3: act- it's the quickest and easiest fix. Like you see a lot of the people and it's just, if they just raise the camera a couple inches, it would be fine. Yeah. I hate it when they do just like chin. All yeah. you see
1: is like a big face and a little lot of ceiling or, or wall behind yeah. them. But yeah. yeah.
3: Okay. So take a picture of yourself actually. Okay. Right. And just um, have, or if you have somebody in the room, you can have them take a picture. Yeah. Um, the, I would say the third biggest one was, like I mentioned, don't be a hostage uh, don't, that's my style. Don't sit in front of a blank wall. Put something <laughs> behind it. It can be wallpaper. It can be photographs. It can be art. Just something. See, I just wanted all the focus to be on me. Yeah, that's kind of narcissistic. Too. Well, guilty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you would be a hostage. We would consider you a hostage. So we had some fun with that, with the, um, the you know, offering to rescue the people that were clearly being held hostage against yes. their will. Um, this might sound obvious, but clutter. Right. And it just... Organize it, clean it up. Nobody wants to see your clutter. Nobody wants to see dirty laundry. It okay. sounds—you'd be surprised at how many people <laughs> we've seen a lot. Um, the um, other one is: do not organize uh, your books by color. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's big in the design world. Apparently, you can just make a, a artistic statement of books you know, all the pink ones and blue ones together. Um, I've always believed that nobody wakes up one morning and says, uh, I feel like reading a pink book today. <laughs> like I understand that it's, it's pretty, yeah. but no librarian in the world is going to be good with that. So clashing colors are in right now too. Yeah. 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 But it, it looks like you're doing it for display rather than that. Right. You've actually read them. Right. Okay. Um, so that's a big one. And yeah, um, we always say add a plant or a succulent. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's just for the color, but I also work in the industry. So buy a plant or a succulent. Okay. Um, a little
1: self-promotion there
3: too. Yeah. Perfect. Of course, <laughs> I love it.
1: Can we rate some yeah. past This Is Van Color guests yep. and you can rate their rooms? Yep. Okay, let's start with the big boss himself. Kay. Let's start with Premier John Horgan. He was Kay. on the very first episode of the show. Yep. How would you rate his room?
3: Um Uh, flags are always points. Yes. Um, the lacrosse stick is a really nice touch. He needs a lot more light. Okay. So, um, as you can see, it's uneven and he needs to add a ton, but especially to the right. Um he would be an 8. Okay. Um in a close election year we would probably rate him a 9.
1: <laughs> no bias. <laughs> no sorry.
3: Shh, don't tell anybody that one. How about CBC's Justin McElroy? I know this is a personal favorite well, Justin for you. Is a favorite. You've rated him quite a few times. Um yes, he worked his way up from I believe an 8 to a 10. Um okay, so uh the pennants and the pins on his jacket, of course that that is a shameless display. Yes. Um but that is worth points for us. Um he actually has art uh and I like the um we call it the two-room view, so you can actually see another room, so oh, you can okay. see his kitchen. Um, for him, he needs to bring the plant out because the plant's kind of hidden. Right. We always want to see the plant. And for him, he would have to get um, – I would have to take two points off because he's not wearing a bathrobe. It's kind of a long story. <laughs> we prefer the bathrobe.
1: Okay. So, and a room within a room in your Zoom is good.
3: Yes. Okay, perfect. Yes. Angus Reed Institute's Shachi Curl. She's actually one of our favorites to okay. do. Uh, her rooms are always good. I think we've given her probably three or four tens. Um, art, flowers. She always has fresh flowers, by the yeah. way, um, and books. Her, the way she curates uh, the background and she also always adds color and she always coordinates her um, clothes with it. We don't rate clothing, of course, Fair. but it doesn't hurt to have a bright color. Um, so she's a 10. She's okay. going to be a 10 all the time. That plant couldn't be a little more in view, you think? Um, You know what? With this, uh, this is the first time I've actually seen her where the, the plant isn't um, a little more to the left okay. to see. So yes, she could. But she gets a 10. Okay. Now, this one
1: might actually get me in trouble. She's always in studio on my show, but on Political Capital with Rob Shaw, she's in her Zoom room. Please
3: judge Katie Merrifield. Well, actually... <laughs> Okay, Mo. She's your girlfriend. We know that. But because you're a nice guy and you're not a Republican, that would actually be <laughs> bonus points. Perfect. Um, but you know what? Without you, um, it's still a really good room. Uh, we like depth. With that room, you can actually see all the way, the whole, the whole room. Mm-hmm. Um, we would say great depth, um, strong pillow game. I like the pillows. Um, in her case, the only thing that's keeping her from a 10 is uh, the backlight. There's a lot of the backlight that's reflecting off the art. Right. So we would like to see the art. Yeah. So just tamp down the backlight and she's a nine. Blackout curtains. Um, you, you know, you could ten. even do, um, it wouldn't even have to be blackout, but just um, just a, um Shades or something just to stop the reflection from the other screens. Cool. Now, coming out of the COVID-19 lockdowns, hopefully coming
1: out of COVID-19 pandemic in general, do you think this legacy of staging the perfect room for your virtual meetings, do you think that will continue on? Do you think people will be more conscious
3: In the future? Well, we hope so, mostly because we don't want to see Keith Baldry's old room. (laughs) Nobody wants to see that. Sorry, Keith. Shout out to Keith Baldry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, you know, I think it is here to stay just because I think, um, Zoom is here to stay. I think that a lot of, uh, offices are going to a hybrid anyway, and a lot of people aren't going back. People are choosing not to go to jobs where they have to commute. So I think we will be around for a while, and I think that we have raised awareness about what Things look like behind you as well, so hopefully (laughs) we'll be around. Yeah, love it. Be good, Jesse.
1: This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Folks, pick up your copy of How to Zoom Your Room, Room Raider's Ultimate Style Guide, on June 21st, wherever you buy your books. It is illustrated by Chris Morris and co-authored by Claude Taylor and our guest tonight, Jesse Bari. Thank you again to Jesse for passing judgment on our virtual setups. Also, thank you to Ben Boliger for sharing his experience with ICBC. And of course, thanks to BC Minister of State for Infrastructure, Bowen Ma, for taking my complaints in the launch of our new segment, The Complaint. Box. We will be back next week right here on Check, Sundays at 7 p.m. For more, find This is Van Colour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and the Check Plus app. But for now, this is Van Colour, and I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a province where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <music>